Two five and ten. Uh, I'm here for two five and ten. Uh, I guess I'm here too. Well, yeah, you know, we, we got a nice intro. I, I was swiping like, what? What's the intro going to be today? I come by this like, oh yeah, no question. Uh, welcome to episode nine. I would call it the Adam Graves episode, but Mark Messier is not here to help him. So, with that being said, welcome to the show, Ben Stewart. Uh, Epa, how are you? Uh, that was a cheap shot, but it well-deserved one after the Cam Neely uh, shit talk on our post on Facebook from last week. Uh, if we can't call it the gravy train, let's call it the uh, Russian rocket episode for Bore. That's fine. I can deal with that. I mean, he could fly, dude. I remember just seeing this guy just filthy. Just drop it back to your skate, kick it back to your blade, and just roofing, guys. Just Yeah, the Russian rocket was real. He did that at the Garden. What was incredible about that Rangers team that those years before the cap, the Rangers had Eric Lindros and Pavel Bore on the same line, and they missed the playoffs. Impressive. <laughs> that is impressive. <laughs> Getting into this week, I guess we have to get right to the big news. Uh, both Todd McClellan and Mike Yo were fired this week. Uh, Kenny Hitchcock comes out of retirement, takes over in Edmonton, and then Craig Berube currently takes over in St. Louis. Thoughts? Um, apparently they're going to be giving Craig Berube a full opportunity to take over the role full-time, either, I'm assuming, the rest of the year, but also moving forward. I think everybody around the hockey universe is waiting for Joel Quenville to get that itch again at some point, especially if the Blues don't turn it around, which they don't seem to be doing. They just got blown out uh, at home against the Jets, which is a game we'll get into uh, for one specific player. Uh, So interesting to see how long they stick with Ruby, because they do have the talent uh, outside of goaltending to make a run, especially in the jumbled up Central Division. I was surprised Hitchie came back. He retired, quote-unquote retired, like, what, six months ago? Comes back. I know he has a connection to Edmonton, but I was honestly surprised that they would bring him in. Yeah, I mean, the Yo thing, that's just tough because that lineup was, like, revamped, and it was ready. Like, they had a chance to go. It was now in like you said, that central division is an absolute fucking nightmare. So for them to actually try and make the playoffs now is going to take an act of God. Like, getting out of that hole is nothing crazy. Um, I know we had, we had discussed goaltending with them, and yes, I still think it's an issue. But like what you said, where they're letting in five a night, like it's kind of hard to blame your goalie when you're not giving them any defense either. So a little ugly on that end. Um yeah, Hitchy taking over in Edmonton is interesting. Um, like you said, the hometown connection there. But at the same time, it's when do you officially call it quits? Like, when is it? <laughs> well, no, like, 
he's made plenty of money throughout his time coaching in the NHL. Are you enjoying retirement? Are you not? Obviously, it's the hometown thing. Who wouldn't want to coach their hometown team? But at some point, I mean, both these guys, Baruby and Hitchcock, both had the interim tag put on them. I'm with you like what you said. When the biggest UFA this summer, Joel Quenville, hits the market, he's going somewhere. So, um, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I don't want to say Hitchy looked good, but uh, the boys won the first game for him. So that's a plus. I mean, the thing with Hitchcock is he's a defensive-minded coach, and two tangents about that. Tom McClellan's going to be coaching another NHL team within a year or two. He's a very good coach, may not be somebody that can take you over the hump and win a Stanley Cup, but he's definitely somebody that can come in and kind of redefine and reset your program and get things righted and heading in the right direction. But how does Peter Chiarelli make this decision? The roster is deficient outside of uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl. Maybe Cam Talbot is a solid goaltender if he's able to bounce back. How is he in a position to make this move away from a pretty successful NHL coach when he's been making moves that have undermined the roster for a couple seasons now? This move alone is to just save his own job. Um because I guess as a GM, you can put it on the coach and be like, hey, th- these guys aren't playing for him. So you, you can push it the other way. At the same time, I'm with you. I mean, the roster is what it is. And there's going to have to be a, a, some sort of blowout in the offseason to change it. Because some of these guys, people aren't trading for. People aren't calling you for certain people. So yeah, it is which captain. Yeah, like you're stuck with those guys unless you buy them out. And then the buyout's on your cap, too. And with McDavid now making 12 a year, it's not a good look either way. Um, Yeah, I think this is just one of those hoping a prayer, something will hang around, then you can keep your job. I got a question for you. End of the season, say they gas Chiarelli. Do you see people knocking for him, like knocking on the door? Because it's like you said, we've talked about it before. He did the same thing in Boston that he's now doing there where he's locking people up long-term for big money. There's nowhere to go on the cap, and you're going to need someone like, I think when he took over the Bruins job, he did a good job in the sense of he had to get rid of some dead weight. He had to get rid of Seidenberg. He had to get rid of Lucic. He did them all at a cost to the team. Seidenberg was a buyout. We ended up getting those three picks. Um, people may not have liked the direction at first, but at the same time, you're going to have to look forward. Like So if whoever takes over this job, it's going to be like a, three-year look-ahead in the sense of who do we have coming up prospect-wise, where are our draft picks going to be? Because you're going to need younger players on entry-level contracts to be able to play with McDavid with the money that he's making. Yeah, I, if I'm an NHL owner, I am not banging down Chiarelli's door to bring on board as the general manager. He has, obviously, some strengths in the player development or player uh acquisition area so i could see him coming on and focusing on one of those like areas either helping out a current gm with a draft uh maybe some uh scouting for the team i wouldn't give him a full-on gm role just because of like you said we've seen what happened at the end in boston and what's already going on in edmonton i mean ryan spooner is the first line left wing right now on 
with Connor McDavid, and he was just traded for from the Rangers who had no use for him about a week ago. Uh, so that's all you need to know about the depth up front for the Oilers. The other thing is, like you said, McDavid is now at 12 million a year. Last year was the year they had to make that run. When he was still on a century-level deal, before that extension kicked in, he had all that extra money to put talent around him, and he just bottomed out. And once that happened, I think that's why a lot of free agents kind of shied away from that because they knew once his cap hit jumped up, that they weren't going to be able to afford to surround the rest of the team with enough talent to overcome some of the drafting deficiencies and the uh, bad trades that Chiarelli made. All right, one last thing because we're already into it. You're a very good hockey player. You get the phone call to go to Edmonton. You know you're not going to be able to get full market just because of the other contract that's there. Do you still go just to play with McDavid? Because, I mean... If you're doing like a bridge deal, say, hey, I'll go there for like two, three years and then come off of that and you'll get a fat payday. But there's no way you could sign there long term and make decent money. Yeah, if I'm going there, if I'm a veteran who's trying to rebuild his value or I'm a young guy who is coming from an organization that hasn't given me enough of an opportunity to prove myself in the top six role. My career is kind of at a crossroads. I would definitely jump at the opportunity for a one, two-year deal, lower cap hit for I can fit on a roster and play alongside McDavid or dry out on top six, kind of crushing 20 to 30 goals, hit the open market, cash in with another team that's better suited to be a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Because it's a shame. I know McDavid's young, but now it's another rebuild. They had Terrell Hall. They moved him, Regent Hopkins, Sam Gagne, McDavid, all these guys, Everlay, and now it's another rebuild in Edmonton. Let's get off the Oilers. Can't anymore. <laughs> I tried. Um, speaking of coaches getting fired, who do you think the next one on the chopping block is? So when Joel Quinville was fired, the first three spots that jumped in my mind were St. Louis. So that's already happened. Uh, kind of seen waiting for the other shoe to drop with Baruby there. And then Florida uh, with, oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Bugner? Bogner? Yeah, Bob Bugner. Because the Panthers were supposed to be uh, legitimate this year, and they started off uh, struggling. And Dave Talon has that connection with Conable, obviously. And then the other team is Buffalo. Buffalo has now won nine in a row. Uh, We'll get on to them uh, in this podcast, too. I think Housley's safe. I Florida's kind of sort of started turning it around, so we'll see you there. But if I had to make a pick now, I would say Dave uh, Hackstall in Philadelphia. See, so still thinking Hackstall. I, I don't know. I'm with you. I'm thinking Florida or Ottawa. I, I just think the whole Guy Boucher thing, like he lasted that first nightmare where they blew up the coach. Things aren't going very well. Yeah, I don't think it's going to last too long. And if it doesn't last too long, well, if he lasts the season, that'll be it. At the end of the season, they'll mutually part ways, and they'll call it a wash there. Unless he comes clean about his scar. If he comes clean about his scar, they'll keep him. But if he doesn't, he's gone. The the way I would look at it, if I was Ottawa, who would want to come coach this team right now with the disarray that the front office is in, that Melnick, who 
just this past Friday sued one of his old business partners for $700 million, which basically kills any hope of a new arena downtown in Ottawa. You already have Boucher, who's proven to be at least a solid NHL coach. The players already know him. If I'm them and I'm pinching pennies and I know I can't attract like a young, bright coaching talent, I would look at it and just stick with him for another year, maybe two, rebuild the, our image, rebuild our standing around a league, start bringing up some of these young guys, uh, developing them like Kachuk. And if you turn a corner, that's when I would can them and bring somebody else in. But you're going to fire Boucher. Who's going to go there? You know, Paul McLean. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought I didn't think about it on the other end with the with the owner part of it because, yeah, that's a nightmare because th- that owner is he, he's kind of out to lunch a little bit. He's a little, a little bit of a wild card, a little bit of an oddball. And you bring in that into the mix, and it's like you come in as a coach, and you're imagine interviewing with him, and he's like, <laughs> and he's in the Reebok thing instead of the Adidas one, and you're like, dude, that that switched over two years ago, bud. Like we're two years you into have the to be Adidas. Interviewing stuff. with uh, the owner today, you're gonna be interviewing with uh, Matt Borieki. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it just seems like it's kind of a fucking gong show up there. So. Yeah, I'm with. I you mean, it's trying to get rid of Nolik as the owner anyway, which is its own topic, but. Yeah, I want to stick with the Flyers. Very impatient organization. Coach isn't really developing along with the team. They have enough talent to be playoff contender, at least, in the Metro division. And they just kind of, they're so inconsistent. They win three in a row, and they bounce up towards the top of the division. Then they lose three in a row, and they settle back down towards the bottom. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a change there. And one other thing, talking about Philly, too. I think when... Ilya Brizgalov said it years ago when he said, why you want to go there for? Goalies die there. They do, dude. They're on their fifth goalie this year. Five. It is an absolute uh, nightmare down there. I need to... That reminded me of this. So the Rangers played the Flyers on Friday. The Flyers won, but Lundqvist had another pretty strong game. And after the game... I saw this image on Twitter that I had to save. So since Henrik Lundqvist's debut as a rookie in 2006, here is the number of goalies that the Flyers have started opposite of Hank. Steve Mason, Antero Nenamaki, Marty Biron, Ilo Brzgalov, Ray Emery, Sergei Bobrovsky, Michael Neuverth, Brian Boucher, Robert Esch, Brian Elliott, Elliott Michael Layton, Peter Morazic, Alex Lyon, Rob Zepp, Calvin Pickard, Anthony Stolars, Martin Huell, Johan Backlund, Jeremy Duchesne, and Cal Heater Holy have all played shit. against Lundqvist for the Flyers. That's a lot. Um, the Lion kid, I've heard really good things about him coming out of Yale. Um, he current, well, he was in the minors, currently called up. Uh, we'll see what he can do. He has a pretty good record down there in um, wherever the fuck their AHL team is now because they moved around. But, um, no, it, it seems all right, so... That that must just be a nightmare, though. That they, they can't draft the goalie, they can't get a free agent to go there. Like, that's awful. Um, yeah. So we'll see what happens with Philly. I know we touched on Buffalo. Do you want to give your thoughts about their nine-game win streak and kind of what Halsey's been doing up there? Yeah. Um. Currently atop of the Atlantic Division with thirty-four points, sixteen-six and two. Uh. Yeah, like you said, nine-game win streak. When Housley went there, 
I thought it was a great place for Phil, not just because he played there, but as opposed to, from what I heard from my sources at another NHL team, not saying who you guys know, I already know if you listen, um, Phil's a great guy, great with developing, and great with the younger guys. So with that being said, when he went there and Jack's the captain, um, they end up getting Dalim, who finally looks like he's turned a corner and turning into his own I said it, I think it was our first show when we were talking about our second show. I didn't know if they were going to make the playoffs, but I thought they were going to give it a push. I did not think right now I'd be in here saying that they would be at the top of the Atlantic Division. I'm not going to say I called it. That that did not happen. But, um, no, the kids can play. When they made that trade for O'Reilly and they ended up getting back Berglund and uh, Saboka, I, I feel like they were finally getting players in the right places. Jeff Skinner. Uh, Reinhardt finally playing really good too. I know it was just a one-year deal, but definitely trying to prove his worth. I think with the kids, there's always a wild card. You, you never know when you have that young of a lineup as to who, what, where, when, why. But I think at this point right now, when you're rolling, the worst thing though too, it could go from red hot to ice cold. So as quick as we're talking about this nine-game, nine-win streak, we could be talking about a 12-game skid. So I think, you know, ride it while it's hot, but you got to be able to bounce back after a loss, too. Yeah, it's funny because Skinner has kind of gotten a little pep in his step after the trade from Carolina for basically nothing. But he's kind of pricing himself out of staying in Buffalo long-term the more successful he is uh, because of the cap situation. So I think it's a one-year situation for him in Buffalo I hope they do well I know I have like Vietnam style flashbacks to that playoff series against the Sabres up in Buffalo when <laughs> jury scored to tie it with seven seconds left and then I still, I still knew exactly where that was going what did you say won it in overtime <laughs> that was uh freshman year of college so the spring of 07 and let's just say a lot of a few of my hockey sticks and my better frame did not survive that that game time goal. But, you know, you hope they do good. Like they have a great fan base. Obviously, it's a good hockey market. Uh, they just fit in terms of like when it's playoff series. We grew up with them in the playoffs all the time with guys like Barnaby and stuff playing Pittsburgh. Uh, so it'd be nice to see them continue this going. I don't think they're going to win the Atlantic Division. I don't think they're going to even finish in the top three. They could have finished four, depending on if Florida turns it around. Uh, so it'll be, be fun to watch the rest of the year. Well, since we're talking about Buffalo with the kids, should we uh, talk about the Finnish kid? Line A currently at the top of the NHL, 19 goals. Leading the league in goals. He's on pace for a 71 uh, if he continues at the current rate. He is the third youngest player in league history to score five goals in a game after he lit up St. Louis behind Gretzky and Don Murdoch. Uh, a couple other stats that I found for him. He's the youngest player to reach three hat tricks. He has the longest point streak by a teenager, the third most goals by a teenager, the second most hat tricks by a player before the age of 21. And he has the most goals ever scored by a Winnipeg Jet in a month, uh, 16 and counting for this month. And that includes Tim Mussolini. I got a question for you. Do you think at the end of this, because I think this kid's a stud. 
I think when he finally, when it's said and done, he's going to be a first ballot in the Hall of Fame. Do you think at the end of it, who is going to be the best finish player, him or Timo? I I know it's two different NHLs, the new versus the old, but I mean, this kid is an absolute sniper, dude. That top of the circle shot, like, uh, disgusting. Like, I I know Ovechkin has that top, like, power play one-timer, but this kid just does it with it on his stick. Like, he doesn't fool you. He just crankbacks and goes with a wrister slash snapshot, and you're like, wow, I saw it, and he beat me clean. Yeah, he uh, got one past Lundqvist in his rookie year that made Hank, he looked behind him, sort of puck was behind him, and then he looked over to see who that was that just beat him with that wrist shot off his off wing. Ah, him versus Tamu. I don't know. I it's going to be hard for me to choose like a quote unquote new age player over guys that we grew up with. So it's kind of like that nostalgia factor. Um, I think he's going to have to win a cup just to even that out with Solani when you do player by player comparisons in terms of that stuff. Um, the other thing I want to touch on with Lane is his draft class. Top 10 includes Austin Matthews, himself, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Kachuk, Clayton Keller, Miguel Sergachev, Logan Brown, Charlie McAvoy. Like, what a draft class that was back in 2016. You know, there, there was definitely a deep draft pool. Um, I, I'm with you, too, as to, like, some of those guys haven't really blossomed yet. Uh, Dubois, I mean, he's in the NHL now, which is good. I know he played another year junior before he came up. But um, him, another one, Logan Brown. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the craziest parts about the NHL in the sense of you bet on kids. Like, you know, w- with the NFL draft, you have guys that go to college, and some of them have been there four years, some of them to go there for a year, light it up. Same thing with the NBA, where they're currently at their highest level before they go up to the next one. And with the NHL, sometimes you get guys, you know, from the Finnish Elite League. Sometimes you get guys from the Sweden Superliga. Like, you have all these different tiers, uh, you know, the OHL, WHL, the Q, uh, guys that are in college, guys that were the USHL going to college. Like, I feel like where you can get kids is so, it's all over the place. So it's hard to be like, oh, well, you know, this kid played here, so I think he has a better shot than the other kid. But, yeah, dude, it's definitely tough in the sense of, this kid came in, World Junior, lit it up. Eyes kind of went after him. They they knew he could definitely shoot. He gets drafted. It killing it. Killing it two years in a row. Killing it. The other interesting thing, and just this is kind of tying together to this episode and a previous episode, if the NHL expanded into Europe and they had a team in Helsinki, even though they were to be part of the normal NHL draft and they wouldn't just have monopoly over finished talent if you were line a and you were coming out in a draft and you were drafted by i don't know ottawa would you go or would you make it known that you're only playing for helsinki and you would would that be a potential issue of expansion to here where all these guys are playing in their juniors and like their men's league in order to get drafted into nhl and play in america or they can just stay at home now yeah, no, that would be huge, too, because a lot of these guys are homers in that sense of, I grew up here, I play here, this is where I want to play. 
So can you imagine just going into a draft, for example, if you were Ottawa saying, this is our number one pick, but he's not coming? Yeah. So, like, do you even waste the pick on him? I I understand it, but it's one of those things, too, where I like where the NHL, as opposed to other leagues, has that straight across the board entry level, which makes it the same for all the rookies, which I like because, you know, if you know at the beginning, we knew what Austin Matthews was going to be. We all knew that. So with that being said, I mean, you could have given Austin Matthews when he got drafted and signed the money he's making now. Like yeah. you, like you already could have made that deal then. So I, I think it kind of levels the playing field in that sense, which I really like. But no, I'm with you. If the NHL goes over there, it's going to be a fucking nightmare. Agreed. And we kind of touched on it a little bit. Alex Ovechkin, once again, one of the top goal scorers in the league. I uh, wanted to bring him up because the Rangers just played the Capitals on a Saturday. And for some reason, and it's not just the Rangers, it seems like it's every team that Ovechkin plays against, can't figure out how to defend his one-timer from the left circle on a power play. Rips one past, uh, <clears throat> rips one past the Rangers for another goal there on a power play. He is now over 600 goals. He's at 624 for his career. The record is 894, obviously, by the great one. Do you think he has a chance of breaking the all-time goal scoring record by the time he hangs it up? It's tough because Ovi's up there a little bit. Um, And I mean in the sense of there's a lot of wear and tear on him. Like, he's played a lot of games over a lot of years. Um. He's a big boy, too. He, it's not like he's one of these leaner guys. And then the other thing, you hear other guys talking about him in Washington. They're like, we don't even know how he skates after his pregame meal. They, they say, like, <laughs> the guy's just like a monster on that end. But I think at the same time, too, it's kind of the Russian machine. It just oils itself. I don't know if he'll ever touch Gretzky. I don't think anybody ever will. But I think if in our day we're going to see someone come close, it's him. Like, like you said, that power play top of the circle, cross ice, feed him the one-timer, and he buries it every time. How long has he been in the league now? 12 years? 14 years? Yeah, 12, 13 years. And like you said, no one can still defend it. People can't dive in the way of it quick enough. It's way over your head by the time you get there. Like, yeah, incredible talent. Yeah, just... It's crazy, dude. Like, he's just a phenomenal talent. He's awesome to watch. I think one of the biggest things that people are going to put on him is, yes, he's an absolute sniper. But when you look at the goal-to-assist ratio, I think that's okay. always going to be one thing that people are going to say, you know, whether it he wasn't a team player or this, that, the other thing. But you can see how excited everybody was when they won the cup and how happy they were for him. So, I do think he's a team player. I just think that when you're that good, you shoot the fucking puck. Exactly. Like, you don't see on a flip side guys calling Adam Oates one-dimensional because he was such a gifted passer but didn't score as many goals. He knew what he was good at. It helped the team win, and that's what he made the haul for. Uh, Just some numbers for Fovechkin. So if he finishes this season, he's on pace for 63 goals or something like that. Let's say he finishes with 45 he would be at 652 goals at the end of this season, and he would need 242 goals to tie Gretzky. 
So if that was the case, just to put in perspective how utterly dominant uh, Gretzky was back in his day, Ovechkin, the most prolific goal scorer of our generation so far, we need to average 35 goals for another seven years just to tie Gretzky. Crazy. I, I was going, <laughs> you, you went 35. I was doing 40 in my head just doing the math that way. And yeah, and like you said, he's getting older, you know, so it's going to be hard to keep it up. But even if you just put him out there for two minutes on the power play each time and just sit him at the top of that dot, I think he has a chance. And the thing I wonder now is he's won his cup. He got that monkey off of his back. He has, after this year, he only has two years left on that massive 13-year deal. He's made over $100 million in NHL. He's, in the past, has made it very clear that he was willing to get suspended and fined to go play for Russia in the Olympics when the NHL wasn't going. Would he pull a Datsuk and retire and head back to Russia. He's got his cup, he's got his money, his contract's over, and now he just wants to go home, enjoy himself, and play uh, for his team, for his uh, national team. That's a good question. Um, He'd be 35 going on 36. I know it probably killed him watching Russia win that gold medal while they were playing, but at the same time, I think he knew that it wasn't you know, the best in the world because the NHL was still here I think he would want to win it with the best in the world so the next time there's an Olympics they did they already say they're not doing the next Olympics that was already confirmed they're not doing it I uh, I don't think it's been confirmed yet I think the NHL is still doing the whole leverage thing of you need our star power so we need to get something out of it more than what we were getting originally yeah you know not not the growth of the game because that didn't grow over all the years but um yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I, I think it's tough. I don't think Leonsis, the owner there, would ever let him leave. He legitimately loves Ovi to the max. With that being said, though, he, he, like you said, he's announced his love for his country so often. He went back home with the cup. Yeah, I think there's a chance. And the Datsuk thing was kind of one of those surprise things, too, where it just kind of happened. And, hey, I'm back home now. Um, not as not as big as the Kovalchuk surprise, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. But it, like you said, there's something about Russians going home, and I would say there's always a chance. But I think Ovi knows where he stands in the sense of like the Mount Rushmore of hockey here, and just off personality and everything alone, I think he's one of the top tiers. So I think he would stay. I hope he would stay. I, I like watching that one tooth fuck. <laughs> Uh, Ove- yeah, he's. we've seen him grow up from an 18-year-old dealing with all the headaches and the criticisms and coach killer reputation that he had into being a Stanley Cup champ. So it's been, even as a Rangers fan, it's been a little bit of a journey with Ovechkin. Uh, kind of changing up topics a little bit, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on a little in or out uh, in terms of playoff current playoff standings and if each team you think will at the end of the year be in a tournament uh if people don't know there's a pretty strong statistical standard that if you're in playoff the playoff picture on american thanksgiving there's like a 76 percent chance that you're making the playoffs at the end of the year so three quarters chance that you're making it i wanted to get your thoughts on each team yeah or nay if they're going to be in the playoffs in april We'll start with the Metropolitan Division. 
do you want to go yeah. off of today or do you want to go off the one that I sent you on Thanksgiving? Let's go off the one we you sent on Thanksgiving, a nice little screenshot you got me. Okay, let me pull that one up just because it, it's changed from today, like different mashup matchups oh, and yeah. things like that. That's why I just want to go off that. Uh, yeah, I think the Capitals will be in it if we're going to go Metropolitan. I think Columbus, I, I said they were going to be a playoff team. I believe they will be still. The Islanders still kind of, hold on. No, see, that's where I messed up because now I'm, I was looking at the screen, not my phone. Washington, yes. Columbus, yes. Rangers were in that, they were in the second spot at that point. I don't know. I, I think if anything, maybe they get in as a wild card. I don't know if they stay at three. Uh, th- there's a lot of traffic around you guys in the sense of it, it's kind of jam-packed. Uh, the Islanders currently 26 points. You guys 26 points just on the outside of the playoffs. Carolina 25. Uh, Pittsburgh at 23. You never know when they're going to turn it on. So I don't know. I, I think you guys are a bit of a, a wild card factor on that sense. If we switch to... I will, uh, I'll help you out there. We're not going to make the playoffs. <laughs> All right. So, so, yeah, so you're out. Um, but, but with that being said, if you if you think you're out, do you think the Islanders will be in? Islanders, Carolina, or Pittsburgh? What, what's your thought? I would love for it to be Carolina just because of how much of a tire fire they've been. And I enjoy. I would very much enjoy seeing them do one of their pre post game celebrations on national TV and seeing Brian Burke lose his fucking mind. Lose his mind. <laughs> <laughs> There's no room in this sport for fun. Um, I got to give it to Pittsburgh. You know, two time Stanley Cup champ. Uh, I know. Even if GM Rutherford has been kind of calling them lazy indirectly, they're going to pull it together. Uh, I don't think the Islanders, the Rangers, the Hurricanes have enough talent in, on their team to overtake a surging Penguin team. If the Flyers make a coaching change, though, I'm going to give it to them. Okay. Fair enough. Um, we switched to the Atlantic. Atlantic was number one Toronto versus a wild card two Boston, number two Tampa versus number three Buffalo. I got Toronto in, Tampa in, Boston in. I'm nervous right now just for the Bruins in the sense of all the injuries they have right now, there's a lot of kids playing, good and bad. Good news is the kids are definitely logging some minutes and they're figuring out if they can play in the NHL or not. Bad news is our playoffs start right now because if we go on a skid, I don't know if we make it or not. Like, even with people coming back in about a month or so, it, it could be too big of a hole, you know, to climb out of. So with that yeah, being said... Yeah, you're five points away from being behind four teams for a wild card spot. Exactly. So I'm not going to say, yeah, dude, we're the best kid, fucking Bruins. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at it realistically, too. And, unfortunately, I think that's one of those things where, at any point, if the kids stop playing the way they've been playing it could be really ugly so i'm on the fence with us um montreal was in it too on the other end they were that wild card that went over to the metropolitan division do you think they'll be in the playoffs uh checking with the judges no 
<laughs> out. <laughs> Switching over Sem- to the West. Seminaries are out. They're out. All right. Uh, switching over to the West, we had Nashville against Wild Card 2 Dallas. Uh, Winnipeg versus Minnesota for that central spot. Uh, so the central, I don't know the seating, but I think it, I'll be fairly confident in saying that Nashville, Winnipeg, and uh, Minnesota are going to make it outside of the wild card positioning. Uh, for the Central Division, Colorado's interesting. I just don't know if they can pull it out uh, in terms of being the top three in that division. All right. Um, I- I'm kind of with you on that. They've been a little bit of a tear. Um, I know since Thanksgiving they've climbed up, so they went out of the wild card back into third place in the Central there with 30 points. Um yeah, it's tough. Like you said, Winnipeg's definitely going to be there. I, I don't care whichever way you split it. They're going to be there. And whoever plays Winnipeg in the first round, because currently they're in that wild card one spot, God bless, because yeah. they're, they're a wagon and they're coming for you. Uh, going to the Pacific, we had San Jose in that wild card one spot was with the Avalanche. Uh, two was Calgary and three was Vancouver. Yeah, so the Pacific might actually be the worst division in, in the hockey. league this year. Yeah, spot on. Um, San Jose has been a little bit of a disappointment with after the Carlson trade and the talent that they have. They should be running away with this division right now. Uh, I'm going to go, since you read out the uh, playoff seating there, at, in April, top three in the Pacific will be San Jose, Calgary, and Vegas. Yeah, I see Vegas right now. They're on that cusp line. Uh, 25 games played, 25 points. I think with Gallant there, they're definitely just going to be better. Um, I think Anaheim's going to skid a little bit. They just haven't really showed it for me. I know they weren't even on our list, but currently today in the Pacific, they're third place, so they're in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you. San Jose, Vegas, Anaheim. I mean, Calgary. Jesus Christ, now I'm all messed up. Yeah, Vancouver's going to skid. The, the the kids aren't going to keep it up. Not there. Not enough help. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see who the wild cards are going to be out there because they're going to have a hell of a first round, whoever they're playing, whether it's Nashville or if they're playing. Like, I think there's a lot of things here that are going to be interesting when they finally come out in a western conference used to be known as like the powerhouse like east was just fodder when it came to the cup or like having as many strong teams in the conference the funny thing is when you look at the wild card standings currently for today there are about let's see the kings out blues out arizona out edmonton out chicago out vancouver is going to start falling off that basically means there's a battle for two wildcard spots or just three teams. It's much easier in the West to kind of like make a run for it, which if my calls on the top three in each division are going to hold, it's going to be between Dallas, Colorado, and uh, Anaheim for the, those two playoff spots. And please, God, no more Anaheim. Yeah, I think uh, Anaheim's roster is a little bit dated. And I think it's going to be a little interesting. They have a negative 15 goal differential right now. (sighs) 
So yeah, it'll probably be Colorado and Dallas in the, that wild card positioning for me in the West. Out East, I'll go with uh, either Pittsburgh or Philly, whichever one does finish third in the Met. And I'll give the last wild card spot to. Ah, jeez. You know what? I'm all in with Phil. Let's go Buffalo. I like it. I like it. Um, off of that, do we want to talk about the fight in the bench this week? Oh, yeah. An interesting scenario that I want to get your opinion on because it's not like this hasn't happened before in terms of guys going to the bench or there being a scrum. Uh, I think it happened last year to Calgary, I believe. But we'll post a clip up on our Facebook page. What ended up happening was Adam Lowry on the Jets uh, elbowed uh, one of the guys on the Minnesota Wild. It was a delayed call. He was going back to the bench, and he was dealing with somebody else in a while that was sticking up for his teammate. I think it was Eck that was jumped in there. Yeah. Uh, and the bench door was open because of the line change, and Lowry just basically kind of carried him into the Winnipeg Jet bench and started throwing with him. Then you have Minnesota Wild guys coming in, trying to help out their guy. Obviously, the Wild are outnumbered because the Jets have their bench there, but nobody on a Wild bench can leave and help out, otherwise they get an automatic 10-gamer. My question to you was, what the fuck was Dustin Bufflin doing on a bench there? Like, Why is he coming over, getting involved, throwing haymakers, to a guy isolated on his own team's bench. Did you see who he grabbed after? He he grabbed that kid after uh, Jordan Greenway from BU. He is an absolute fucking monster. I would have loved to see the two of them chuck him. Like, you want to talk about two big boys getting after it? That would have been it. Because they were having a conversation after, and I don't know who was winning the conversation, but they both looked very into it. I would love to see next time those guys play if those guys just, let's do it. Those would be two massive individuals. And you know Bufflin will be down because Bufflin thinks he's uh, the biggest dog in the yard. I want to see, to be honest, I, that would be an interesting scrap. I would want to see Bufflin go with Ryan Reeves. I'd be interested to see that too because I'm with you on that. Bufflin's always talking shit. He's always doing this and doing that. He's a bully. Yeah, he's a bully, and it's funny, too, because, like, you hear some of the chirps when he's mic'd up and he's calling, like, guys go to hit him and they fucking bounce off of him because he's full of jelly, and he's like, good luck, chump, and it's like, dude, you're 280. You're listed at 240. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, Bufflin, he's kind of in that same mold as Ray Emery was for me. Emery was another one, and I know... He was dealing with his own issues mentally and, like, off the ice. He was just, like, that whole fight he had with Braden Holpe was just the worst aspect of having a bulldog mentality as a hockey player. I think Bufflin's in that same way. He's just a lot more talented. Dude, when Ray Emery fought Andrew Peters, that shit was wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about that. Andrew Pe- I, first, I loved Emery for dropping it there, but I just thought Peters had gone, fuck that. Like, I don't care if you're the goalie. I think that's why Emery got away from it for so long, because of that code of you don't drop it with another team's goalie. And Peters finally called him on his bullshit. Do you remember when uh, Emery beat up the trainer for bringing out his hat or whatever, and he, like, threw it at the trainer? 
Yeah, like just a general asshole. And I know he's passed away. Don't speak ill of the dead. But to be honest, if Emery was alive and he was talking about somebody he didn't like, he wouldn't care if they were dead either. So fuck him. <laughs> I have nothing to say about that. I don't speak about the dead. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about your bees? Yeah, we can talk about my bees. Um, dude, the game last night, the rivalries renewed. I liked it. Bruins versus Canadians last night. Bodies flying everywhere. It was crazy. I, I haven't seen those two play like that in a long time, which was great to see. Um, I'm going to talk bad about Brandon Gallagher, and I usually don't. I usually like Brandon Gallagher as a player. I think he uh, he plays hard, especially for a little guy. But um, last night, the spare that he just completely removed Kevin Miller's balls with, to me, was disgusting. Like, you want to give somebody a cross check in the back, have at it. But when someone's completely facing the other way from you and you decide you're going to give them the old, hey, how are you? Yeah, not good. Um, I'm surprised Millsy didn't kill him because he went flying <laughs> after him. I think Gallagher was thankful that the uh, linesmen were between them. But the craziest yeah. part is, you know what? If you do it, own up to it. He's over there. You can read his lips. What the fuck did I do? What the fuck did I do? Like, really, dude, you casually didn't know that you stick me right in the dick that you just casually didn't know your stick went there i know crazy but um good to see the bees get a win that that was huge up there two former uh, ranger john moore with the winner yeah johnny moore um finally came back from injury i believe it was two games ago against detroit it might have been pittsburgh don't quote me but um back in the lineup we definitely needed some help on the dn that's for sure so thank god he's back um Tuca went up to Montreal, didn't shit his pants, which was <laughs> phenomenal. Um, ever since his little family, personal leave, whatever it was, whatever we don't know it was, still mute on the point. We still don't know whatever it was. But um, he's come back, and he's played really good. So I will give him the tip of the cap for that for right now. And, um, yeah, I I'm just... Curious to see how it plays out with the kids, man. I mean, Bergie's officially out four to six. They finally came out and diagnosed it. Char is still out another three to five because the week's already been gone. So, yeah, it's definitely the playoff times for us right now. Uh, the kids are playing. They're playing okay. Um, Jake DeBrusque finally coming on strong, which is phenomenal. I, I like seeing him score goals. Kids buzzing all around the ice. One interesting thing I saw, I want to get your thoughts on it. There was a possibility. It was not a uh, Joe Haggerty tweet either, so there's probably some truth to this because anytime he tweets there's a trade rumor, don't fucking believe it. Go somewhere else. Um, you can call me. You can text me. We can have a conversation because I think Joe Haggerty, with all of his rumors of trades, is about 0 for 33. So um, <laughs> with that being said, I saw that there was a rumor of Charlie Coyle to the Bruins. Um, there was, what they were looking for was a prospect, whether it be Danton Heinen, Anders Bjork, or Ryan Donato, one of the three, along with the pick. And he's under contract right now, 3.2 this year, 3.2 next year, then finally UFA. And the only thing with me that's a little scary with Charlie, and I thought he was going to be a lot better player-wise in the sense of points, um... So we'll go from 16, 17, 18 in this year. He had 42 points in 82 games, 
56 points in 82 games, 37 points in 66, and currently this year only 11 through 23. And he's a big boy. He has some size to him. I think he could be versatile for us if he comes and he can play center and the wing, which would be great. But I just kind of, if we're going to get rid of a prospect, I just kind of want to, I want more. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't mind the cap hit, the cap hits, whatever. But he came up, and when he was finally starting to go pro between BU and then St. John's, he had so much oomph behind him, like so much chatter, and then he's kind of fell flat a little bit. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, Coyle was one of those guys who I've always been trying to figure out a way that the Rangers could pick him up. I have a inclination towards right-handed shots forwards and defensemen just because they're so rare. So if the Rangers ever have an opportunity to load up on those guys, I'm all for it. I thought Coyle, with his size, his hands, I thought that 56-point campaign was his jumping-off point, and it just kind of fell backwards since there. I thought he had a chance to be a legitimate like top-line right-winger. He's settled into more of a top-nine guy who can kind of fill in temporarily in your top six if need be. I just don't know why, unless Minnesota's trying to create some room for another addition, why they would necessarily want to move him and two where would he fit in with you guys when you're all healthy like would he be in your top six top nine like what would he be doing for you that i don't know um i immediately think of top six in the sense of you could have debrusque on the right and um, debrusque on the left and him on the right and then Krejci through the middle and Krejci's always been known to play better with some bigger guys around him, so maybe Charlie gives him a little bit of space from the corners. Um, But if he starts to slide a little bit, in the sense of they go to drop him backwards, I don't know where he fits in the lineup. I don't see him being our fourth line's kind of square across the board the way that they've been. Our third line's kind of been square across the board. It's just been that second-line wing that we've been fiddling with. So if he doesn't fit there, I, I honestly don't know where he fits in the lineup. To be honest, he has slightly better production across his NHL career, but he reminds me of just a bigger Ryan Strom. Ooh, Former first-round pick, right-handed shot, was supposed to be like a top-line winger, top-six guy. Strom has made that transition into more of a two-way uh, forward on a PK, uh, and hopefully your third line is a good spot for him. They both have similar cap hits. The Rangers traded Ryan Spooner for him, and when we made that trade, I think Strom had 10 points, 9 or 10 points. So the fact that Haggerty's trying to say you guys would give up something like Donato and a pick on top of it for Coyle is a pretty big overpay. If if they asked the Bruins for like a fourth round pick or a third round pick, would you make that move? Just a pick and not a prospect? Yeah. Oh, I'd ship it out in a heartbeat. Here you go. Worst comes to worst, he finishes out the season, we'll figure out next year. But yeah, if it was just a pick, that's fine. I just I just think that it, it's hard for me to read Bjork. He, he hasn't really played too much with us. When he has, he's been okay. Definitely a lot more on the offensive end. Same thing with Donato, kind of came out came on hot at the beginning of well, the beginning at the beginning when he started playing but the end of last season 
came on hot, scored some goals. Um, Danton Heinen, I don't know where he sits with me personally because when all these guys become RFAs, a couple <laughs> of them, uh, yeah, it's yeah. A, a couple of them are going to have to go. He's been just like a quiet guy. He's played last year and this year with us. Plays his minutes, does his thing. It doesn't really stick out too much, whether good or bad. So I don't know if that makes him expendable on that end, where it's kind of like, well, it, it's kind of you know what you get from him. But uh, that's going to be interesting to see too when Don finally has to figure out that mess. It's the thing with a guy like Coyle, just because of his size, uh, which he has as an advantage over a guy like Strom. I could see him being a good playoff pickup because every deep playoff run, you have one of those unsung heroes who either chips in an unexpected goal in one game or over the course of an entire series that kind of takes a load off your big guys. And I can see Coyle being that. I just can't rely on that enough to give up a prospect and a pick on top of it. I'll gladly, if I was the Bruins, I'd give up a second and a fourth form, but I don't want to give up an actual live body and a pick and then get stuck with a fourth line or for the rest of this year and next year. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's it is what it is. I don't know. That, we'll see. Oh, th- well, that's what I had to say. Strong. Hold on. I, I dropped the ball. That's what I was gonna say. I don't know how I feel about guys coming home to play either. Like Jimmy we, Hayes. Yeah, we had the Jimmy Hayes experience and that was god awful. So I just don't know if this guy, you know, and mentally he's in a good spot in Minnesota, does his own thing. He comes home, and now he's getting harassed by fucking this one, that one, the other one for tickets, this, that, the other thing. It can kind of, it can take you out of your element a little bit, or, you know, you could have an intern calling you and wake you up from a pregame nap. So, I mean, <laughs> the, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff that could happen. But uh, what about Shout your Rangers? Sounds yeah. like a great guy. Yeah, he's a good, great guy. Uh, what about your Rangers? So, Strom got into a fight with Konecki in a Flyers game on Friday. His first fight as a Ranger. He's not really a fighter, but kind of answered the bell for a late hit on Strom and Couturier. So, the Rangers were on a little bit of a run. They were, I think they got up to 9-1-1. Got everybody's hopes up. Got Started getting some attention. Uh, Lundqvist has, once again, the C percentage, uh, the goals against average might not be among the league leaders, but he's facing about 35 to 40 shots a game. His save percentage is over 920 again, uh, at the ripe old age of 36. So he's proven himself to be, once again, one of their uh, best workhorse goalies in the league. They lost the last two against Philly and Washington. So they're a young rebuilding team. Their system is significantly better under Quinn than it was the last few years. A lot of promise there when they start developing and bringing in more talent in terms of goal scorers that their system's going to really take off. The thing I wanted to touch on was their defense. And this, I won't be shitting on Kevin Shattenkirk today, so he gets a little bit of a break. The thing is, the Rangers have been rotating in seven defensemen when they're all healthy for six spots. Uh, Brendan Smith was just healthy scratch for two games, and even Quinn admitted that he didn't believe he earned the scratch. He just wanted to get uh, some other guys some ice time, like Frederick Clayson. They got to start changing their usage. They keep Mark Stahl, who is basically a cinder block at this point, uh, paired with Neil Pionk. Pionk has, I think, the fifth 
most points by a Rangers defenseman through his first like 40 games in franchise history um, up there with Brian Leach. But he's being used as a two-way defender, and his underlying stats show that he needs to be moved to more of a shielded offensive guy. So offensive zone starts, power play time. He's not really that big of a defensive zone guy, which is interesting because your boy, and I say your boy ironically, Tony D'Angelo, has completely changed his career around. He is playing top pair minutes, 20 minutes a night, power play minutes, penalty kill minutes. He is playing physical in front of the net. I actually would love to hear him mic'd up because he is chirping after every fucking whistle. And his underlying numbers, you look at his possession stats, his Corsi leading the Rangers, uh, even ahead of Brady Shea, Brendan Smith, Shattenkirk. He's taken the challenge from David Quinn. He's gotten his coaching by David Quinn, and he's starting to take off. So that Stefan deal is starting to look a little bit better. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how they start utilizing these young guys because they're all right-handed defensemen, Pionk and D'Angelo. And the only thing I can think of is they're, they keep playing Stahl, they keep playing Smith because they're trying to move them instead of just buying both of them out and having their full cap hit for like eight more years. I'm sorry, pal. I'm sorry. It'll get better. Like, like you said, Quinny's turning it around a little bit, so you can kind of you can see the future a little bit. It's looking better. The thing I keep talking myself into, and this is what I have to do as a Rangers fan, I was like, maybe they're playing stall because if they trade him and they have to get half of his salary, that's still better than buying him out and having that full hit on your cap for a handful of years. And maybe they're doing the same thing with Brendan Smith. And if they trade both of them and eat half their salary each, it equals just one of their buyouts. So essentially, they'd be saving money. But then I turn around. Yeah, the system's taking off. Yeah, they have some young talent. But how many years do you think it's going to take, in your opinion, for the Rangers to be back to where they were from like 2011 to 2016? Three, four years? Yeah, I was going to say at least three. Uh, and the other and thing, too, is... Happens as long as 41. Well, I was going to say the other thing, too, is you got to see where Hank is in those three years, too, because you can turn around the front part of the roster, but then if you don't have a goalie, you're still kind of in the shithole there. So That's what I mean. The timing of it could be off. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, do you guys have any goalies coming up through the system? or? Yeah, we have this Russian kid, Igor Shashuskin, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, he's in a KHL right now over in Russia. He's 22. He's been the league's best goalie playing with former NHLers and other top prospects for about three years now. Uh, his deal with the KHL ends after the season, so he'll be over in North America next year possibly being hangs back up see if he's the future it's just i can't believe they blew his prime man well, hopefully, not getting a cup of hank hopefully we can make a deep run here and we'll trade you tuka for hank and um you know maybe kanky can get one here how okay i gotta ask because i feel like that's the scenario maybe not necessarily the bruins that's going to happen here how was it when Bork won a cup. Like, be honest. Don't fall into that. Oh, it was nice to see him win. Did that fucking destroy you guys seeing him lift a cup with the Avalanche? It was best of both worlds because we were so bad that year that we weren't even, like, sniffing the playoffs. So it, it kind of gave you someone or, or a team to root for. So on that end, it was great. Like, I remember 
people around him be like, oh, my God, I cried when I saw Ray lift a cop. It's like, cry when he lifts a hair. Like, no, I'm with you on that end. Like, because when when we won hair, dude, it was a fucking party, dude. I was there with you. Yeah, I was at uh, Fastville's basement getting completely (laughs) fucking shithoused. Um, Went to work the next day completely. Oh, man. It, it was a good, it was a good like three, four days of just celebration. I have a video. I was actually watching game seven with uh, our fans, Mike and Renee, uh, a couple other people. I think Phil was there too. Uh, uh, my Phil, not your Phil, the ice cream guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have video after the buzzer sounded, Mike just like waving his Bruins towel once in the air crying and then like just burying his head into Renee's shoulder <laughs> which I want so bad to have that feeling I'm not even making fun of it I just really want that fucking feeling so bad <laughs> I yeah. just can't know I don't know how I would react if we, if Lundqvist was like all right the rebuild's taking longer than I thought I have a year left on, on my deal and we move into a team like I don't know I'll even use Colorado as another example and then he lifts a couple of Colorado of being happy that he won, but it'd be like such regret, I think, for us. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that because you guys had that window Eastern Conference champ. I don't know championships, Eastern Conference Finals, actual finals. Yeah, the window was there, and it blew up a little bit. And I'm with you. It's tough if you ever have to see one of your best guys go. That's always one of the hardest parts. And granted, like they say, it's a business. Blah blah blah, but. It's kind of like me. I couldn't imagine Ray Bork being anything but a Bruin, but he went to the Avalanche and did what he had to do. Same with you with Hanky. You were with me for game one of that Ranger King Stanley Cup final. How was it watching a Stanley Cup final game with the Rangers in it with your boy? Which one? You? Remember we went to that you? restaurant? Yeah, we went to the one Newton. No, it was good. I mean... You were fucking, you were fucking into it, and then there's all these other people like looking around, like, "Excuse me, can we get the socks on this TV?" You're like, "No, this TV's staying on the Rangers game." Like, Ooh, all right, so, hey, we'll have another round. How about over here? Yeah, we went to a restaurant in Newton, which is like the fancy suburb of Boston, and we're at this restaurant. They have like two TVs. I had a chain. I we waited an extra like forty minutes because I demanded a table that was underneath one of the TVs. The Yankees were playing the Red Sox, and it, they were playing for first place. Everybody was watching the game, and I changed it to the Ranger game. People were like, the Bruins are already even in it. I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so it was a great dinner. You know, I, I was too nervous to eat anything. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, this burger tastes great. Don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, kind of changing topics a little bit, uh, coming to the end, I believe. But uh, going to our game of the week and lock of the week picks. I will say Kevin got off the schneid last week. He picked Colorado over the LA Kings. Uh, Colorado beat them 7-3, so he's officially 1-3. I'm going to get on him for bitching out and taking an easy pick for that one. Uh, I am 0-4. I picked the Flyers to beat the Maple Leafs in Toronto. And Toronto turned around and politely handed them their ass 6-0. So I am still looking for my first win. Do you want me to go for it? Game and lock of the week, or you want to go first this time? You can go. I I I think we've been going all right with our thing. I finally got one. I don't want to ruin the mojo. All right. Uh, so I'll start game of the week. 
uh, potential playoff preview. But Thursday, November 29th, in Tampa Bay, the Sabres on a road, potentially having a 10 or 11 game win streak on the line, playing uh, the projected division champ. So we'll see how that one turns out. Uh, my lock of the week, I'm trying to, I was trying to find an easy one here to be, just be like, get off the schneid a little bit. Not really that many easy ones this week, but I'm going to have to go with my local boys, at least out here. They'll be on a road. Eric Carlson's return to Ottawa next Saturday. San Jose, book it. Yeah, barn burner on that one. I'm going Carlson with the hat trick on that one. <laughs> uh, I got two games of the week per usual because I can never just pick one. My ADD kills me. Uh, Monday night, I have my Bruins at Toronto. I think that's going to have a lot of repercussions in the standings because everything's so log jammed up there. And then Tuesday, I have Colorado at Nashville. Yet again, a lot of the, the standings are, are tight, man. Like, I, I just think that these games now, even though it's only November, I think they hold a lot because a loss or two right now can get you right out of the playoff spot. So th- those are my two picks for uh, games of the week. My lock of the week is also Monday night. I'm going Columbus at Detroit. So I have a question for you just very briefly about Detroit. Who do you think makes it back to a Stanley Cup first, Detroit or Montreal? Uh, Current coaches still the same, or are you just going in general? Just in general talent, current prospects in the system, things like that, spending habits. If you maybe put spending habits into it, I probably got to say Detroit. Um, okay. I think Montreal under Claude, they're running a better system than what they have in the past. Uh, their prospects through the system, they definitely need to replenish them a little bit for some top tier prospects. Detroit, kind of, they're younger. A lot of their kids are playing. So maybe in a couple of years, they're turning around to, you know, Detroit Rock Hockey City up there. It gets a little bit different. But um I'll go Detroit just because I hate Montreal. <laughs> I wanted to see if your hatred for Montreal would be superseded by if you thought they would actually be better before Detroit. Um <laughs> uh, all right. So going to today in NHL history. So November twenty-fifth. Uh, a little Rangers spin on it here. Uh nineteen ninety-seven. Mark Messier makes his triumphant return to Madison Square Garden as a member of the Vancouver Canucks. And, of course, he cries on a bench during the video tribute and then eventually scores on a breakaway uh, in Vancouver's 4-2 victory. That was a great night all around for Ranger fans. Um, In 1983, the largest crowd in NHL history jams Joe Louis Arena. Uh, The Red Wings defeated the Penguins 5-2. 21,019 fans saw Detroit rookie Kelly Kissio Lead this scoring with a goal and two assists. Uh, the last one is in 1981, Wayne Gretzky gets the eighth hat trick of his NHL career two months before turning 21. He scored four goals and 11 for a victory. Uh, Gretzky goes on to set the NHL single season record with 10 hat tricks in one year, which he repeated the, in 1983. I, I love your history. I, I wouldn't be able to do it, but I, I love hearing it from you. Uh, you got any shout-outs this week? 
Uh, yeah, I'll give, of course, the shout out to the First Lady, who, even though she is, at the time of this recording, laying on a beach in Mexico, enjoying Thanksgiving holiday, and oh. leaving all the Thanksgiving food to me, which was lovely of her. I'll lick it up. Living the dream. Getting You get massages on beaches, like... Who needs that when you have turkey in San Francisco when there's a wildfire going on? Um, so I'll give her a shout-out. And the only other shout-out I have this week is for... Jeez, uh, I should have prepared for this better. I didn't pull his name up. I'll just call him Asshole. The asshole who sideswiped me on Friday driving home from uh, car shopping. Well, not car shopping. Picking up stuff for my car. Uh, basically T-bone me and... De- total the right side of my car the passenger door and he does not have insurance so hat trick to ben ouch it, it hurt just hearing you say that uh i have to give a shout out my my brother-in-law the grunsies maputa was not happy with uh the the limited shout that i gave him he wanted a little bit more so um I've never that's seen that. you know I've never seen anybody five foot two with a schlong that's about four foot eight. So I mean, huge rope. Um, I mean it, it kind of you know pushes them a little bit taller. So so I'm happy for him that the, the big puta. Um, outside of that, oh my, my other brother-in-law to be in the future. I'm sure. Uh, God bless him. He's gonna take Sierra. Um, Stephen, God bless you. Love you. You know when you, when you come back again, we'll uh. We'll, we'll do some more drinking. My man, I don't think there's anybody else this week. I Wait, think is that official? No, no, not official. I just, oh. I, you, sometimes you just get a hunch, just one of I those things. I was about things. to say, like, this, this fucking guy didn't ask for my permission, you know? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, he's closer to you than he is to me, too, out in Colorado. <laughs> but, um, oh, another thing, too, so one of his buddies, uh, so Steven grew up in Colorado Springs, one of his buddies is, like, BFFFFFFs with, uh, a certain Bruins defenseman, so we might end up getting an interview on this show. Suck on that, fans. And then we'll give it a proper shout-out for that episode, too. You know what? I'm going to steal a shout-out here just because I'm going to try and get some extra brownie points for when I do visit Boston. Shout-out to the to Redder here. You know, holding down a fort as Kevin, you know, just wants to get woken up for the games, like Cam Shirt said earlier. I uh, just I'm I'm just gonna give her a shout out here, you know, steal some brownie points from you. You know, she she just knows I'm down here. He work hard for the money. Uh, 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 uh. But uh, with that being said, everybody, you have a good week. Uh, we're gonna try to cheer up Ben and put him in the pish, the Christmas spirit here. So we'll catch y'all next week. Oh ho ho. ho.